Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. I am free to stand up for what I believe in. I am free to say what needs to be said. I am free to live in peace. Free to remember. Why we're through North. Strong and free. On November 11th, remember those who served and sacrificed for freedom. A message from the Government of Canada. Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing today? It's a good day to remember. You can stay standing for a minute if you don't mind. We'll stay standing. I've got Vic Lamour up here with me. He served in the Armed Force Reserves, Essex and Kent Scottish Windsor Bee Company. Vic also sets up the display for us every year that you saw when you came in, and that's much appreciated, Vic. And he will read for us now in Flanders Fields. Thank you. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. Loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Thank you, sir. I'd like to pray. You know, personally, I have multiple family members that have served uh, a little bit south of here. But um, for all the military uh, reserves, veterans, and for the, if you have family members, now's a good time. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a moment of silence to remember those that have given their lives for the freedom that we enjoy today. Father, I thank you for the men and women that have served this country faithfully and courageously. Lord, many have laid down their lives and fought wars so that we could live under this umbrella of freedom that we have today. And we can worship you freely without fear of persecution because they laid down their lives for us. For those, Lord, that are still living, some are wounded, some are scarred, I thank you for your grace upon them today. Lord, bless them and their families. We remember their sacrifice. Just like Jesus went to the cross for us, many brave men and women have laid down their life so that we could have freedom. And we bless them today in the name of Jesus. So I'd like you all to remain standing with me. And uh, I had the wonderful privilege to spend the weekend, and I, I call them the two young men. I know one's a little younger than the other, and they can figure that out amongst themselves, but they're actually, 
you know what, not just wise, I think they come with a spirit of wisdom and, and full of the Holy Spirit and power. I, I know at first service I was really blessed by the message that our brother Clint uh, delivered and, and then we had communion together at the end with Darren. So I'd like to give a warm Windsor welcome to Clint Mix, who's going to come and share with us today. Anybody that would call me young, it's, it's already a warm welcome. I'm going to be talking for a couple of hours, so you probably want to sit down. Yeah, you laugh. It might not be. And these are uh, blonde highlights. It's quite expensive to, uh, to get them put in. So. Uh, it's been a great privilege for Darren and I to be uh, with some of your leadership team uh, this weekend, uh, an honor for us to do that. Uh, for me, it's kind of fun to be back in this area. I, I live in Calgary now. I do have cowboy boots. I'm a little embarrassed about that. Uh, my wife made me. But for uh, over two decades, I had the privilege of serving in Ontario and into Quebec and working with a couple of different denominations and serving churches. And so when I can make my way back to Windsor, it, it actually is a bit emotional for me. And as we drove out here uh, from Toronto, I shared with uh, Darren a little bit about the significance that this place as the people of God historically in this area have done amazingly great things in terms of bringing freedom to others. And we know that this takes place, has taken place here, and we know it's an ongoing ministry of your church to seek reconciliation between divided races. And scripture reminds us in Galatians 3 that when we come to Christ, it's not male or female or slave or free or Jew or Greek, but we're all one. And we need to continue to move into that, even as some of you, hopefully all of us, continue to do. So I'm back here after a number of years, and it feels a bit strange. You know, you kind of remember there's a 401, and you drive down there, and you turn off some point in time. But it's a, it's a strange time, and frankly, for all of us, it's a really strange time. Anthropologists have called this space we're living in a liminal space, or liminality. Now, we're going to talk about living with liminality, and some of you are like, okay, what in the world is he talking about? What is liminality? Well, I actually had to look it up, too, to help define it a little bit better, but it's a Latin word, and it actually means threshold. It's kind of like you're, you're not in one place or the other. I'm, I'm not really on the platform. I'm not really on the main floor. If you think about the people of God, and you know the story of the Exodus, they, they left captivity in Egypt, and they eventually made it to the promised land, but it took them about 40 years, and that 40-year period was a, a liminal time and space. And liminality creates confusion and disorientation because we actually haven't been there before, and the rules and the rights that used to work in this other world don't currently work yet, and we're not really sure. Um, Think of it. It's happened to me several times already this morning. We, no, we don't. No, we, no, we, well, we certainly, do we hug? We're, we're not sure what we do. We had old rules where we'd like, good to meet you. And we all knew it. Now we're not sure if we're allowed to do this or not. We're in this in-between time and space where we can't figure it out. We even use language like old normal. And there's going to be a new normal and we don't actually know what it looks like. I continue to track the news in Ontario, and we have a couple of kids that live in Toronto, so uh, watch what happens in their life. And 
can see, like most places in Canada right now, cases continue to rise. And it creates questions and confusions and ambiguity or liminality in our minds. And will we keep our jobs? Will the government funding continue? Speaking of government, how do you think our friends and our neighbors uh, nearby feel? Like they had an election. Oh, we got a president. Oh, we don't. Oh, there's a. Ah, I think he landed. Um, but there's this liminality, there's this in between time and space that happens when you're simply not sure. My current ministry role has me involved with a whole family of churches in Alberta, and part of what we do is try to say, here's how you actually navigate this COVID reality. Now, thankfully, there's people in our office that track things better than me, but we ask questions like, can we gather again? If we gather, what does it look like? How far apart do the seats have to be? We can't do things the way we used to do them. I know you as a church have this great global impact. When do we get to go serve God globally again with our physical presence? Can our small group meet or does it have to meet in Zoom? What about our youth group? What about our kids' ministry? What does our future even look like? We are in liminal times. We don't know what the future is going to look like. We're sure it's going to be different than the past, but we don't know. And so what do we do? Often as those who have an evangelical bent, we come to scripture and we say, you know, we need to focus on the last words of Jesus and go and make disciples of all nations. And we're going to do a little bit of that today. But I think there's some other last words of Jesus that are a little bit more applicable to this liminal time and space that we find ourselves in. And I'd like us to go to John 13 to 17. I, I was just joking about the two hours, so I'm not going to preach the whole thing. But I want to look at some of the pieces of John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, commonly called as the upper room discourse in Jesus' high priestly prayer. And if you look at this context, and you can see it on the picture that's coming up, it's Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. Now, I actually like this picture, and it took me a number of years to find it because previous to this, I'd have that Da Vinci picture. You know the one. Thirteen, well, twelve old guys and Jesus uh, gathered around, you know, like this one side of the table. And it's like they're, you know, if they could only have a selfie stick, it would have been a great photo op for all of these people. Now, here's some problems with that picture. They weren't old. Like, not old like Darren old. Like, he's really old. <laughs> we won't say who's older, or he might. Uh, you know, they weren't old. Uh, Jesus was in his early 30s, and in that tradition, he would have been discipling uh, people. Likely, these, these men were young men in their late teens, maybe early 20s. So they weren't old. Here's the other thing. Okay, like, don't tell anybody. They weren't white. They were Middle Eastern. You know, you got all these white guys there. They weren't white. What's wrong with you? And, and they weren't seated because they would have been reclining in that culture. And they would have come and they would have gathered around. But imagine if you could transport yourself to this upper room. Jesus, I, I think there is other people there besides the, the followers, the disciples. And they gathered around. But it's a confusing time. Uh, they're kind of meeting in secret. Jesus is saying some of these strange things like, I'm going to leave you. I'm not with you any longer. And for them, it was a very liminal time and space. Uh, Jesus, who had led them the last few years, was about to go to his uh, betrayal, 
mock trial and his crucifixion and, thankfully, resurrection. But their leader they had wasn't going to be there anymore. And they had thought this idea of kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God would, you know, overthrow the bad government and bring in the good government. But that wasn't the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. So in one sense, it was a death of a dream. And then there was confusion about these strange things that Jesus was saying, especially when he said, one of you is going to betray me. It's like, whoa. You know, and they're looking around. It's like, ah, oh, it's not me. It's probably you. And uh, someone else was going to deny them and who to trust and what to do now. If there ever were a group of people that were experiencing liminality, it would have been those gathered in the upper room with Jesus. And it's no wonder early on in John chapter 14, Jesus said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled, because they were. And so amid the confusion and uncertainty, Jesus taught them and he spoke to them to say, here's how you live in uncertain times. And the words that Jesus spoke to them ring true for us today that says, here's how we live in liminality. Here's how we live when we don't know what the rules of engagement are just yet. And the first thing that we need to know about living in this crazy uncertain times that we find ourselves is that we stay centered on Christ. Early on in John 14, Jesus said this as he's teaching his disciples in the upper room. And that's when he said, don't let your hearts be troubled you believe in God, believe also in me, and even if something terrible happens and we go to the next life, he says, it's, it's okay then, too, because there's more than enough rooms in my father's house. And he went on to say to them, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. What do we focus on when times are crazy and uncertain? We center our lives on the person and the work of Jesus. I think we're a little bit like the disciples. We didn't always pick things up quickly. So in the next chapter, Jesus says similar idea. Such great verses. John 15. Remain, or some translations actually say abide. I like that. It's just kind of like we're, we hang out with Jesus. Remain in me or abide in me, and I will remain in you. Why? Because a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you can't be fruitful unless you remain or abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, they will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. So when we're Christ-centered, we thrive in liminal times by abiding, staying centered in Christ. In John 17, Jesus now is praying for his disciples, and it's a part of this passage. And he prays this interesting thing. He says this, And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Sometimes we think about this word know, and we think, well, I, I kind of know God. You know, I read my Bible, that's good, and I, I know a little bit about God. And in my uh, line of work, one of the things I get to do is have ordination and licensing interviews. And so we ask people, like, tell us about the attributes of God, and we're, we're hoping they'll say, like, God is holy, and we can see that in Isaiah 6, and give a whole list. And you can say, well, they, they kind of know God. It's like, well, that's good, and we should. But that really means you know about God. Now, old people here, like Darren, 
<laughs> Remember the King James? That version that we try to read it now and it just doesn't make any sense to us. In the King James, it talked about uh, an intimate relationship in marriage where, uh, you know, man and woman, they would know each other and they'd have intimacy. When Jesus prays that we would know God, that we would know him, Jesus isn't praying that we can list a bunch of Bible verses as much as that's great. Jesus is praying that we'd have a deep, intimate relationship with him and with his Father. In uncertain times, in liminal times, we develop intimacy with the Father and with the Son. How do we do that? There's, there's lots of ways. Uh, let me give you a, a couple that have been very uh, meaningful to me in the last while. Uh, in Matthew and Mark, Jesus has this teaching, and it says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. But in the Gospel of Luke, it actually reads a little bit different. It says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Here's the deal in my life. I need to daily die to self and sin to follow Jesus. I like me. I like my ego. I, I like things that I shouldn't like. And that's why I don't need to take up my cross like 50 years ago and follow Jesus. I need to take up my cross every day. And so something I've built into my life as a practice is a, a bit of a liturgy or a prayer where in the morning after I read scripture and I begin to pray, I say, Jesus, today I take up my cross. I die to self, I die to sin, and I choose to follow you. How do we stay centered on Christ? We daily die to self and daily die to sin. Here's another way that we stay centered on Christ. And it's this whole area of discipleship or disciple-making. I have to confess, it, it's just kind of this common language that happens in our circles about discipleship. And I, I kind of got to the point where I was almost like boycotting this. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm for it anymore. I think I've softened a bit to say I'm, I'm going to try to redeem the language of discipleship. Because here's what I've observed. Almost every discipleship or disciple-making program does the same thing. We, we say, you know, choose to follow Jesus. Don't do bad things. Don't hear me encouraging you to do bad things. But it's kind of like we, we've devolved our faith down to this gospel of sin management. Don't do bad things. Read your Bible. Pray. Oh, and give money to the church because I have to get paid. Um, like that's kind of the extent of our disciple-making. Yet Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I commanded. Should we read our Bibles and pray and give generously? Yes, of course we should. But our faith is going to be about this shallow if we actually choose to not be disciples, to not live like Jesus. And friends, it's time to see our discipleship mean that we actually embrace the life of Jesus. Here's something that we're beginning to do, or my wife and I are going to do, and, and hopefully with a couple of other people. I, I want to read the Gospels again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What did Jesus command? Will I do it? See, Jesus commanded far more than read your Bible and pray every day. He did those things, and he taught us to do those things. But he cared intently for the poor and the marginalized. 
he did some stuff with signs and wonders that, you know, kind of the church I grew up in, we weren't real comfortable with some of that stuff, but, but he cast out demons and he raised the dead and he healed the sick and he said, these things I've entrusted you to do as well. That's what being like Jesus looks like. You know, another thing Jesus looked like, and I've never seen it in a discipleship class, Jesus called out religious people like me. So maybe I'll make that class. Here's how you call out religious people. I probably won't like it because you might be calling me out. I don't know. But can we actually be like Jesus? Would you read the, would you read the story of Jesus, the Gospels, with fresh eyes and say, oh, Jesus actually told us to care for those society he doesn't care for, to feed the hungry, to bring sight and emancipation and care. And friends, it's not, ah, sorry, I get a little frustrated. It's, it's not liberal. It's not social. It's Jesus. And of course, we believe in the person and work of Jesus, and the cross is central, and we need Jesus for our salvation. But if Jesus is in us, it's time that we started to live like Jesus and act that way. Here's another one. Sorry, I, I guess it's... Uh, Maybe it is because I'm old, RJ. <laughs> it's time to say, uh, let's live like Jesus with our lives. We don't have many years on this world, and if we're going to get hung up in legalism and appearance, it's time to move beyond that and actually be like Jesus. At least that's what I hear the Spirit saying to me these days. Here's another one that Jesus did, and it's, it's back into the upper room, and it's John uh, 13. Let me read verse 12. After washing their feet, so Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He served them. He put on his robe again, and he sat down, and, and he asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Here's another way we can stay Christ-centered. Simply serve people around you. Jesus took the role of a servant and washed dirty, sweaty, dusty feet. God's called us to serve people. So look for those opportunities. And here's the beauty. Foot washing, yeah, it's metaphorical, but it can be actual as well, where we can wash each other's feet. Okay, how do we live in uncertain times? Stay centered on Christ. But there's more teaching that Jesus did in the upper room. And he also said that we need to be empowered by the Spirit. Listen to some of what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, uh, sorry, verse 17 of chapter 14 and verse 13 of chapter 16, it says the Holy Spirit will lead and guide into all truth. Should we read our Bibles? Absolutely. Every day. Just read through the Bible in a year, every year. It's like binging on Netflix, only way, way better. And you're going to know some of the stories, and you know what's going to happen, but I got a few go-to movies, and even though I know what's coming, I'm going to enjoy it every time. David does beat Goliath. I know it before I read it, but I love reading the story every time. But when we read Scripture, here's what we need to do. Say, Holy Spirit, will you illuminate your word to me? and show me, especially if you're going to do something as crazy as read the New Testament to say, I'm going to try to live like Jesus, 
And if the Holy Spirit illuminates that to you, I'm going to live way different, and maybe you will as well. We also know that the Holy Spirit will convict or convince the world of its sin, and even us, of things that we need to deal with in our lives, and of God's righteousness in the coming judgment. So how do we practice staying spirit-empowered in these uncertain liminal times? I mentioned one practice in my life of praying through uh, Luke 9.23, that we take up our cross daily, die to self and sin. And then one of the things I do is I flip over, I don't anymore, I kind of have it memorized, but flip over a couple chapters to Luke chapter 11, verse 13. And it talks about a father who wants to give good gifts to their children. And then it says, if you give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Make it a part of your daily prayer. Die to self and sin. Take up your cross. And Father, fill me and empower me with your Holy Spirit. Here's another one that I'd encourage you to do. At least in my denomination, and I, I serve with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Alberta. Uh, I've served in Ontario also with the denomination. It's the one I grew up in. We kind of grew up with this two-person trinity. You know, we believed in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. But we kind of practiced this two-person trinity. And I'm sure some of you are saying, well, thank you for finally catching up to us. Uh, thanks for waiting for us. We do appreciate that as we try to join you in experiencing the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God seems to be doing a new thing. I, I don't just think in the denomination I serve in. I think across our country. Um, events like a Holy Spirit encounter and soul care. God seems to be renewing his people. Uh, my job now is I meet with lots of different pastors and churches and I hear stories of God bringing physical healing and emotional healing and God working in people's lives. The prophet Isaiah said, see, I'm doing a new thing and it, it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. To just be able to embrace and be open to all that God is doing. There's another way that we stay spirit-empowered. I'm going to tie this kind of thought to the next one. And it happens in the Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts 1-8, that iteration of what we've called the Great Commission. And it says we're supposed to be witnesses in, I think the Bible says, Windsor, Ontario, you know, Canada, and the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But in our context, we need to be on mission with God locally. But there's something else in that text. Before you go out on mission, receive power. Receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to be effective because you're not going to do it on your own. You're going to be effective in local, regional, and global mission. Hang on to that thought. And let me go to this third emphasis that Jesus had when he was teaching us how to live with liminality, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered. And, and the next one is this idea of being focused on the mission of God or participating or joining God with mission. So thinking again about spirit empowerment, here's the danger. And see it in my denomination where we serve. We've, we've had, we think, like six to 7,000 people go through different events uh, over the last number of years all across Alberta where they're trying to uh, experience freedom, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we're really excited about the good things that God is doing. But over a number of years, what we've begun to observe is it hasn't made a blip in mission. 
And here's the danger. We can have this spirit empowerment or experience really good things from the person and work of the Holy Spirit, but if it doesn't turn our faces and our actions out to join God in mission, the danger is it almost becomes this other form of consumerism, that the Holy Spirit is here to make me just feel good about me, and it's, it's all about me again. And, and don't forget, we just died to self and sin. That was kind of the first point. But now we're just living it in new ways. And maybe it's consumerism or almost some kind of narcissism that the Holy Spirit is here for me and myself and my... It's like, oh, it's actually not about us. And so what we're discovering is we need to be as intentional about joining God in mission as we are about experiencing the renewal of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When I grew up in the uh, Alliance denomination, we assumed it was an automatic, that if you had an encounter with God, we'd automatically join God in mission. And, and more and more we're seeing, ah, not necessarily. Now, you could say, did you really meet God if you didn't, didn't join God in mission? Maybe, probably a decent argument. But the reality is we have to be intentional either way. Experience the fullness of God and then join God in mission. Listen to what Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 18. He said this, just, Jesus praying to the Father, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. What do we do in uncertain liminal times? We keep joining God in mission. Here's some scripture that I just love, and it's tried to shape how I live my life about mission. John 1, verse 1, you might be familiar with that. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you go down to verse 14, and I've included it in the message uh, version of the Bible, it says this, the Word, or Jesus, became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. How do you want to join God in mission? Do what Jesus did, come and live among us, move into the neighborhood. Jesus didn't say, you know, if we... Uh, just have better mansions up here. People are going to come. See, church is doing that. You know, if we just have uh, even better worship, thank you, worship team, for leading us. Thank you for the experience, especially for uh, those of us who haven't been able to worship publicly for uh, a number of months. But it's not about somehow having a better worship experience here. It is about us joining God in mission. Church people like to say, how do we get more people to come to us? People on Mission God say, how do we get us out in the community and be in the light and the love and the salt that Jesus called us to be in our neighborhoods? Matthew 11, it says this, uh, Jesus speaking to people who were complaining about him being on mission to religious people. Here he is calling out religious people. This will have to be in my course. For John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say, well, he must be possessed by a demon. But the Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, said, the Son of Man, on the other hand, he feasts and he drinks, and he says he's a glutton and he's a drunkard. He's, a, he's even a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. I love that. Jesus didn't say, well, I was, uh, it's actually uh, keto today. 
So it wasn't like a ton of gluttony because I was avoiding carbs. He didn't say that. And he said, well, it was, you know, I, I didn't drink that much, so I, I'm not really a drunkard. No, he, he wore this criticism as a badge of honor. And he said, of course I'm hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. Of course I am. The text says, you know, wisdom is proved by his results. I, I think the original Greek word Jesus said was, duh. Okay, didn't. I don't know what it was. I don't know Greek. But Jesus said, live in the neighborhood. Live with and for people. And if you want to be religious, and I'm using this really negatively, criticize people who are doing things in the community. Criticize people and say, well, they should be at the church four or five nights a week. Why are they coaching that soccer team? Or why are they doing this or that? You can be really religious that way. Don't be religious. Be like Jesus and get involved. Uh, you've got some really cool things coming up, and your pastor said I could kind of spill the beans a little bit here. Uh, for the next number of weeks, you're going to be looking at how you can join God in mission, about how you can serve homeless people with your evangelist teams and evangelism teams and bring boxes of supplies. Join God in mission. If you're not sure what to do, join in. You're going to be helping the parentless through angel trees. Widows, orphans, that's what Jesus did. That's what you get to do. You get to feed the hungry through a local food drive and a can drive. Lean in. And while we can't go globally like we used to, you're going to be taking an offering to serve people and try to feed a million children in Africa. Give generously. How do we live in liminal times? We're centered on Christ. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit and we're joining God in mission. But we're not quite done yet. One more uh, teaching that Jesus gave in the upper room. And if you're following along in your Bibles, uh, take a look at John chapter 17, verse 20, and you're gonna see this little heading. I don't think it's in our handhelds. Does anyone actually bring a Bible anymore? I have one with me, good. <laughs> look at verse 20, it'll say right above it, you know, like Jesus prays for all believers. Try to get your head around this, because I can't. Jesus in the upper room, Think of the picture we had, not the Da Vinci one. Jesus in the upper room, what did he do? He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Maybe, I don't know how it all worked, but maybe Jesus thought, hey, there's going to be a group of people in Windsor right around Remembrance Day. I'm going to pray for them. I don't know. But Jesus prayed for all those who will believe. That's tough to get your head around. But let me tell you something even harder, at least for me, to get my brain around. This is what Jesus prayed. May they be one as we are one. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this wonderful, interdependent, mutually submissive relationship. Jesus said, hey, just as we as the Trinity interact with each other, the persons of the Trinity, that's my model. That's what we are called to replicate. I think it impacts us as a local church. I think it impacts us as a global church. How do we interact with other followers of Jesus? Here's the deal. We believe in triune God. 
one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so often what we've done is, well, that's a little bit tough to get our head around. So we're going to like make the, the people at McMaster Seminary or at Tyndale Seminary, or I don't know your local one, uh, they're going to be the ones, there's not a local one, <laughs> they're going to be the ones in the theology class that, that talk about that. And for good reason, we have wrestled through trying to properly understand who God is as a triune God. But the problem's being, we've just kept it in the seminary classroom, hoping that some smart theologian would explain it to us. And then we forgot to say, but why? Why did God reveal to us that there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And I think this text gives us some of the answer, at least I think there's some others, but one of the key answers is because we are called to be one as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. The early church parents had this, this line, I think it's called perichoresis, and it talks about the dance of the Trinity. And, and I must confess, first time I heard that, I was really disappointed because I went to a Christian school growing up, and when the gym class had square dancing, I actually literally was not allowed to participate because square dancing might lead to holding hands or something like I don't know what was wrong but somehow dancing was really bad and I wasn't allowed to do it I always thought that was a lot more funny than all of you did apparently but it is true <laughs> here's what I know about dancing uh, because I married a Latina who's got great rhythm when she dances and then I try to dance with her or with her family when we dance we kind of ebb and flow and sometimes sorry Oftentimes, I will step on feet or do something wrong, and it's really awkward, and, and then you get, you know, called, like, for being white and, you know, rhythmically challenged, and, and this whole thing. And so we, we try to dance, but, but it doesn't work well. Sometimes, when we as fallen humans try to replicate what a divine dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit might look like, we can do that as well and kind of step on each other's toes. But it's still true that we're called to be one as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And I, I wonder sometimes what that divine dance actually looks like. I think of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where the author says uh, that God said, let's make humankind in our image. Maybe there's nothing more to that, but maybe there's a backstory. And I, I wonder maybe that the Father said, what if we make humans? And then maybe the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit jumped in and said, well, we can, but you know what that's going to cost the son? And, and then maybe the father said, well, then let's not, let's not do it because we know they're going to fall. They're going to turn out like you and I did. Um, and then Jesus said, it's okay. It's not what I want. It, it's what you want. And, and they danced and they talked and they they counseled and they, they lived in mutual submission to each other and then they finally said what we see in the text is let's make humans and let's make them in our image. I don't know, did that happen? Maybe, maybe not. But this is who we're called to be. Called you out earlier, you know, because I've done lots of work with churches and when I grew up a long time ago, first time these things happened, these evil, evil drums happened, you know, we had something called worship wars, and we fought about music styles in the church. So 
Imagine, could you think, uh, you know, let's attribute the Holy Spirit, you know, as the one playing drums. Could you ever imagine the Father saying, like, you've got to tone it down there a little bit. It's a little bit loud here for me. No, of course not. That's absurd. Or, you know, like a, a color scheme. This is, uh, you know, it's kind of a darker one. I'm not really sure it goes because we know the son was a carpenter and he built things. Could you imagine that? In my father's house are many mansions. Well, we've been, you know, in a little bit of conflict over the color schemes and the houses that we're building. No, that's dumb. But churches have fought about colors of carpets and worship wars and other things. We don't get to do that. If we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it means we dance with each other and we show that. But there's something else in here that ties into the mission of God that we must not miss. When Jesus prayed that we would be one as God is one, he said there were some results. He said, be one as God is one. Then the world will know that God loves them. Now, because of the way I drive, under grace, not under the law, uh, I have chosen to not have a bumper sticker on my car about my faith. I don't think we need more bumper stickers that say God loves you or God is true or anything else. How do we validate and show the truth of God's love? Jesus said, when we are one, when we live in submission to each other, when we, we emulate that Trinitarian dance, we show the world that God loves them. Sometimes, whether it's fighting over styles of music or anything else, sometimes... We tell the world that this faith we have, it's not true. Because if it was true, we would live differently. The best way that we can demonstrate the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we would be one even as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. That's why Jesus said, live in harmony with each other. Then Jesus then it'll be proven true that the world will know that God sent Jesus. In Psalm 133, it says this, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. Harmony is as refreshing as dew from Mount Hermon. And in unity and in harmony, the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life evermore. We can disagree about all kinds of things, friends. But we're called to walk together in unity. Can I say one of the things I love about being with you as a church and coming from a different denomination is we're still one. We're still united. You love me and I love you the way that God intended. And the more we can do some of these things, the more powerful our mission will be in our community. If you're here and you're Trinitarian and I'm hoping and praying you are, and you should be. We must be committed to unity and harmony to being one as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. How do we live in these liminal times? Stay centered on Jesus Christ. Stay empowered by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Stay focused on the mission of God. And stay radically committed to unity in Christ. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for my friends, my sisters and brothers here. And 
as we just said, God, I, I prayed we'd be one as you are one, and through that, Windsor would know of the love of God and the sentness of Jesus. I pray, God, even as you sent your son, that we would move into our neighborhoods and for these upcoming events to serve locally and globally, that great blessing and great impact would take place because of it. I pray, Lord, that the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be so evident in this church in new and fresh ways that you do even a, a, a new thing here, maybe an old thing, to see your spirit come in powerful ways. And Lord, that we all individually and collectively would take up our cross every day, die to self and sin, and choose to follow you. Thank you, God, that even though our days and our times are uncertain, we live with certainty because of who you are. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for this church. Pray a blessing on them in powerful ways. In your name, Jesus, amen. One of the things that took place in the upper room was that Jesus brought about a new covenant, and he did so through what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist. And I invite Darren to come and lead us through that. I'll invite you all to stand. It's been so good to be with you um, today and in the days that we've been here. And uh, Clinton and I are cousins, actually. You probably didn't know that, but um, we know that our moms back home are praying for us, which we're grateful for. So we say the old ladies in Edmonton are praying for us, like that. Um, where's the camera? Mom, I, I don't think you're old. I didn't mean that. <laughs> call um, my mom old. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, your mom's old, though, yeah. Um, one side of the family got the hair and the height, and thanks, Mom. <laughs> we're remembering um, right now and so remembering sacrifice my wife's grandfather was on one of the Canadian ships that landed at D-Day and I remember talking to him about that and saying did you have any idea what you were going into did you have any idea what was happening and he's like I had no idea only hours before we start get an idea what's ha where we're going, but it was a long time after before they realized the impact of that moment on history. And I think life is kind of like that, that we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's ahead. But we know who goes with us. And we, we can't tell the weather. We can't know what the weather's going to be like. But we know who's in the boat with us. And this is a moment where we stop and we are grateful what Jesus did. Jesus, we thank you that you made the sacrifice that you did. You gave your life so that we could have life. Jesus, help us to emulate that around us, in our neighborhoods, and our families. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us, for us, and you go ahead of us. You sit in the boat with us. We are grateful. In your name, amen. And Jesus said, this is my body. Take it and eat it. We thank you, Jesus, for your shed blood. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your shed blood, we are reconciled with our Father and with each other. Then in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this whenever you drink it 
in remembrance of me. Let's pray as we uh, go from this place. Jesus, thank you that you are strong in our lives. You're strong in this world. You see what's ahead. Nothing is a surprise to you, Lord. Nothing catches you off guard. Lord, as we remember sacrifice, those who have sacrificed for us, help us to live lives of sacrifice too. Lead us, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Blessings. RJ, anything? Thank you, Clint and Darren. How many were blessed to receive from the ministry of the word today? Amen. Uh, at this time, we'll receive tithes and offerings. I know we can do that online and we can donate and there's boxes at the back, but thank you for your faithfulness in the Serena Winter Christian Fellowship. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to sow in your kingdom. Lord, that it goes into good ground and produces much fruit. I thank you that you rebuke the devour from our lives and that you sustain us and provide for every need, all of our food, our clothing, and our shelter. Lord, I thank you that you give seed to the sower, and as people choose to uh, give to those that have less than them, Lord, I thank you that you multiply their seed back to them, and you repay, as your word says. And as we go now, Lord, I thank you that we truly can be salt and light, living out the mission of Jesus here on planet Earth together. Amen. God bless you. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.